What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast. Today, I am joined by a guest, Devin Alexander of Rolling Relief out in Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Devin? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Feeling good. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. So I know you've had a super interesting journey in this uh, legal cannabis market. We'll get a little bit more into that here in a second. But I start off every episode um, just with the with the basic question of just understanding our guests kind of origin story around the plant and that plant being cannabis. You know, you can be personal or professional, but I'm just kind of curious your your introduction to, to cannabis in, in both those realms of personal or professional. Well, um, I've always been around cannabis my entire life. Um, both of my parents consumed cannabis and both of my grandparents. So it was never seen as a bad thing in my family. So I knew what it was before I actually knew what it was. And so um, just, you know, through pop culture, music, TVs, just always seeing it, always seeing it. And then finally around like 15, actually trying it for the first time. And then when I was about 24, I got my first job legally in the cannabis industry as a butt tender at a local medical dispensary over here in Massachusetts. Awesome. And so what, what you said, what, when was that? 2015? That was roughly like 2015, 2016 when I started working as a bartender. Before that, I was working as a pharmacy tech over in CVS. So um, I knew I wanted to switch over to cannabis because the skills that I learned in the pharmacy were very transferable to work as a bartender. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you know, for a lot of people, it's a medicinal thing. You're moving from, from one aspect of medicine to another aspect. What, did you feel like, how did that, that transfer go from, you know, the traditional, you know, I guess at that point, a traditional business being in a pharmacy to something alternative or a little more edgy is in cannabis? Did you feel like, um, you feel like it was very similar for you or do you feel like a relief or kind of lax, a cooler environment moving to weed or? Oh, a hundred percent. Definitely a lax and cooler environment, you know, because when you're dealing with the pharmaceutical side, you know, most of the time people that roll up there, you know, they're sick or they're not feeling good. So, you know, people are really on edge, you know, they have to pay a lot of money for their prescription. Sometimes it's not covered by insurance. Sometimes they have to get, you know, the generic version of it. And so just going over the cannabis, you know, being medical, it was 21 plus. So we weren't open to the general public and, you know, just a lot more lax vibes. People were happy to be in the dispensary, you know, like you should have seen their faces light up every time they'd walk through the door. And that's what really resonated with myself. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Massachusetts is one of the like newer, I'd say, adult use markets, right? Like over the last few years, we've seen a lot of people go medical. You guys have been one of the the, the newer to, to enter into the full recreation, which I know has been a journey um, for the, the industry and yourself, uh, certainly. But what, what, did, what did you notice kind of that shift from the medical, especially back then in those days to, to recreation? How much of a shift have you kind of noticed? Well, in Massachusetts, when it's uh, medical, you had to be was vertically integrated. So you had to have your retail cultivation, product manufacturing, all under the same roof. And you know, that wasn't the case for the adult use. Back when we were strictly medical, um, the Department of Public Health, you know, governed the medical program. And then once adult use came online, that's when the Cannabis Control Commission was created. And they took over both the adult use and the medical. And if you wanted you know, to start medical, you have to have like $500,000 escrow for an application. And they didn't have any equity programs when the medical was just popping off. So with the introduction of you know, adult use, you start to see people from disproportionately impacted areas start to get into the game. Absolutely. And that's been something, you know, for 
the East Coast has been really on the forefront of talking about social equity. Uh, you know, I was telling you a little bit beforehand, I'm up here in Washington. They just started talking about social equity. Uh, I don't even know, like late 2019 publicly. Like we still don't even have anything. COVID was a perfect excuse for them to continue to fumble, fumble the rock. Um, but, you know, the East Coast has definitely been on the forefront in terms of, of talking about it. Um, you know, being that you've been living in that world, do you feel like a lot of it is just kind of talk and hype or you feel like there's a lot of people really walking that walk? It's a lot of talk and hype at the moment, you know, because we still don't have access to capital. You know, um, there's current bills in our legislator that will create a social equity trust fund and dish out grants and interest-free loans like they have out in Oakland, California. But as of right now, it is very difficult for equity applicants to obtain capital. And there's probably less than 10 actual equity applicants operating in the space right now. So we still got a long way to go in terms of reaching those goals. Yeah, and that's something from the outside looking in, I've always applauded, you know, the East Coast states and like Illinois have at least, you know, social equity and legalization have happened in tandem, whereas on the West Coast, predominantly it's been like, let's pass weed and then let's talk about social equity later. And so- yeah. I where you mess up, you know, that's where it gets tricky. You know, Colorado did the same thing. So um, you need to do it both at the same time, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, either way, the government's going to find a way to fuck it up. <laughs> doesn't really matter what route they go. But I was watching uh, an interview of yours. Uh, I'm not sure when it was, but you were talking about um, kind of your entry when you first were, were pressing the line and had uh, the Cannabis Commission out there kind of create this new license type for delivery and kind of and your importance of, and I believe your thoughts behind that of being like how this could be a very equitable entrance, being it's a lot lower cost than building out a cultivation facility or getting the real estate for a dispensary. Um, but then I, I saw that there was opposition and I saw you were talking about how it was like Martin Luther King Day or Black History Month and people were tw tweeting out all this stuff and you were like started calling them out by one by one. Could you kind of give me the, the, the synopsis of that that story right there? Yeah, no, that's great. It's over a year now, it's, it's crazy to think about. So in Massachusetts, delivery is set aside exclusively for equity applicants for the first few years. Originally, they had what is now known as the courier license, where you would have to have your location, contract with an adult use dispensary, and take on all their product prepackaged. Everything you didn't sell at the end of the day, you'd have to bring back to that store. And then after that exclusivity window was over, you know, what incentive would that retailer have to keep that delivery company around if they can get into the game themselves? So I found it was imperative to create a new license, which would allow us to source directly from cultivators, product manufacturers, and store at our facility overnight. You know, um, the association that was opposed to that was made up of roughly 70% of the retailers in the state. And once they realized they were getting cut out of the equation, that's when they actually had a problem with it. You know, people claim to care about equity until it affects their bottom line. So in January of 2021, you know, that association filed a lawsuit against the Cannabis Control Commission, but, you know, grassroots activists were able to get them to drop the lawsuit within less than a week. But as you alluded to earlier, you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was going on at the same time, and a lot of these companies were posting Black Lives Matter, Equality for All, but you're part of a lawsuit that's filing against the most equitable provision Massachusetts has come up with to date and they're mostly minority owned businesses. That's what really set a fire under me. Yeah. And I mean, those, those contradicting things, I mean, it's, it's big, you know, not to go too political, it's baked into a lot of, uh, you know, the system that we have in place in the, in the country. Um, but it's, it's happening in cannabis and it's like, you know, we've seen since, 
since the Black Lives Matter, you know, this social movement over the last few years, it's become such a like, it's like the new gluten-free, right? Like you, it's like a buzzword to be, oh, we're equitable, we're diverse, we support communities. Like, and you know, a lot of people do it for the marketing intentions and not necessarily the intentions behind what they're really saying. 100%, you know, Black History Month just wrapped up and we'll see how many people still support Black-owned businesses, you know, the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I could understand coming from your perspective of that that being just difficult to sit back and not say something. So, you know, I salute you for getting on there. I know you said you were calling people out one by one. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I had to do something, you know, uh, but it was a group effort. You know, we were just hitting them every which way. And, you know, um, there's a power in numbers. I think people need to realize that. And we did it virtually, you know, it was still COVID. Everyone was still pretty much locked down. All the people that I rallied with were all doing it from their living rooms. No lawyers, no lobbyists, just passion and hard work. Hmm. And see, and that's, you know, that's like, they, they say like, you know, there's certain quotes out there. I can't remember where like the media is the worst, you know, can be such a, a powerful weapon, but it can also be used for good in these senses when people do come together and just shine light on like, yo, this is not right. This is contradicting. And you put it out there for the public to see that and judge that. And it definitely puts pressure on people because when things are said behind closed doors, you know, it's me, you know, your word versus my word, no, no audience. I don't really have, you know, I don't have very much incentive to follow through on whatever I'm going to say or say I'm doing, you yeah. know? 100% too. And what I, even to add to all the drama, you know, the Cannabis Control Commission was accepting public comment. They were like, okay, how about you send us emails about what you want to see changed? But they never said they were going to make them public. So a lot of these people were sending emails to the commission, just bad mouth and social equity and bad mouth and stuff. And, you know, some of them were like, I don't even want to sign my name to this, but the CCC still put the name at the top of the email. So like a lot of people got put on blast. It was like soap opera level drama at that point. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's getting spicy, man. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, How have you felt, you know, kind of embraced by, cause you know, obviously part of that is feeling, you know, excluded from this industry, but how have you personally felt kind of embraced by the cannabis industry from your, your, your somewhat way of just forcing your way in. Oh man, um, I get a lot of love, a lot of places where I go, especially cannabis related events, even non-cannabis related events. You know, um, I'm on a lot of news channels out here in Massachusetts and people will just run up to me and be like, hey man, people I haven't seen in years, like I seen you on the news doing this. Oh my God, I'm so happy for you. I'm like, you watch the news? That's so crazy, man. Like I, I have no idea. Like who, you never know who's watching, especially when it comes to like interviews, podcasts and stuff like that. And, you know, people who I've never met or people who I really admire and they're like, hey, man, I really look up. I'm like, you look up to me. Holy shit. So um, I definitely felt the love and I just want to give it all back for sure. And how much I mean, obviously, you know, again, following your your journey from afar and just briefly being around you, I, you know, I don't get the uh, like front of the camera, like the desire to be the front of the camera. How much of that is just a by like is a byproduct of like just your journey and the mission you've been on and that's just been a byproduct of it or how much has it been being like i need to kind of grab a platform to get my voice out there i mean yeah cannabis really gave me a platform nobody really cared what i had to say until i started doing all this delivery and social equity work um i've grown up you know i was really shy but if i'm passionate about something and i'm very knowledgeable about it you know i got to speak up you know, if someone, you know, if you want to, you got to be the change you want to see. And I, I can either just sit back and just, you know, 
type on social media and complain about it. We can come up with actual solutions, you know. So it really took a lot of growth for myself because that's not something I usually do. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Yeah, it's, it's very very ironic to hear that. And then now, you know, you do quite, quite a bit of that, but you know, <laughs> life will do that to you. Um, man, and so, you know, and that, and that was, you know, that's the other thing is like, how has it been kind of navigating, like getting this media, media attention and, and getting on that? Has it been, have you, something that you've been able to see is like purposefully that you can use as a tool or has it been like a big, like, I don't know, has it been a learning curve? Like, how has it been kind of just navigating, getting that attention from the media? Um, it's really just people reaching out to me through email, through LinkedIn, you know, um, PBS NewsHour sent out a news crew to my house over the summertime yeah. and, you know, just being on national news and being on the local news, it's really just them. I'm not like, you know, reaching out to them and like, mm -hmm. Hey, can I hop on your show? It's all them coming to me, which is pretty crazy. Um, so it's just trying to make the time to fit it all in and, you know, it was just big or small, you know, I don't care if you're like a podcast with 10 listeners, I'll, if, you know, if you invite me on your show, I'll come, you know, just sh share some knowledge. Absolutely. What, what is it about the Massachusetts cannabis market to you that just stands out? Like, what are some things that you enjoy about that market? I know we were talking beforehand, you've kind of traveled, traveled the globe a little bit around for cannabis, but what is it about that home market that like some of the elements that make it special to you? The exclusivity when the exclusivity for certain license types, such as delivery and social consumption, we were the first state to do that. You know, so for delivery and social consumption, those are meant for equity applicants for the first three or four years, and I think that's very unique and that makes them stand out. Um, our equity program um, also expedites our licensing process. So when we submit an application, it would jump in front of a general applicant, and we also get our application fees waived and our annual fees cut in half. I think those are, you know, the biggest benefits of the whole industry and the program. But in terms of, you know, like testing, like Massachusetts has some of the most stringent testing standards in the country, if not the most stringent, you know, like you're growing a plant in dirt, but you're failing it for like certain things that you're like, it's crazy. So the way I compare it is the cannabis that you would go and get at your local Massachusetts dispensary is more healthier for you to consume than the produce you would get at your local supermarket in Massachusetts because you can't use pesticides of any kind in cultivation practices in Mass. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I've heard that, and I heard that, yeah, I heard there's some stuff around like the moisture content that I heard some people out there complaining about, you know, the not being able to get the quality or the, the right cure that they want due to these moisture yeah. content. A lot of people fail for mold, a lot of people. So it was crazy. And then, you know, that actually drives their product down because they can only turn that into desolate, you know, make cartridges, make edibles. So it's a tough market to be in, you know, um, cultivation wise and testing wise, but there's still time for it to grow. And I think the commission has been very receptive as, you know, regulation changes. They, um, every now and then, they'll hold public comment to, for people to say what they would like to see change with the regs. And that's how we got delivery change, you know, there's really stars aligning at the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, you know, with this, I don't know, with the testing and getting it to the right, the right aspect of providing the right flower. And something else I noticed about out there was that, you know, coming from this medical market of vertically integration, a lot of the cultivation facilities are very large scale, right? Because when you're vertically integrated and you're, you need all the products, you need to have a large scale facility. And so you guys are kind of also new to these single license types over the last couple of years. And with that, you know, we're seeing a little more craft cannabis. Have you noticed an increase in quality flower in the market with that? 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's coming. It's definitely coming, man. Um, right now, as it stands, it's definitely market is dominated by MSOs, vertically integrated medical licenses. But you know, I'll give a shout out to you know River Run Gardens, their micro business that's putting out some really good flower. Uh, Harbor House Collective, Ocean Breeze Cultivators, and you know, I think that's going to be the next step of evolution in Massachusetts is brand identity and you know brand loyalty. Yeah, because that's the thing, you know, for for our audience out there that's, you know, from the from the West Coast, you know, a lot when you go out to Massachusetts, it's every, you know, not every, but the majority of, of the, the dispensaries, especially the ones that have been there, all of their product, almost all of their products are branded after their store, whether it's edibles, vapes, flour, maybe they have an in-house brand. So it might be a little bit separate name for the store. But there's not a lot of competition, whereas like I'm up here in Washington, you go to Washington, Oregon, it's nothing but craft growers, you know, small scale. 7,000 or 5,000 to like 15,000 square feet of canopy is like probably the average that you'd see. So you see a ton of people putting out quality, you know, flour at various price points because they're able to just give it that love and care. And when you look at a market like that, it's a lot of large scale grows, same brand name as the dispensary. So there's not that brand identity at the, like you're saying at the flower level. And so that's definitely something that's that's changing. Um, do you feel like the consumers are starting to get that? Or do you, I mean, obviously the the vertically integrated companies that have been there have kind of a leg up where they have their brand is established from a retail front and a products front. But do you feel like kind of these uh, craft farms or farm cultivation only licenses are starting to kind of break through in terms of people knowing of the brands? A hundred percent. You know, we have a lot of great events that people can do pop-ups at such as um, the Harvest Cup, you know, the Boston Freedom Rally and People are starting to become more consumer conscious about where they're getting their products from. I mean, um, is it a minority-owned brand? Is it a woman-owned brand? We're starting to see a lot more of those, and consumers are starting to get more educated. And they're um, starting to realize that you know the THC percentages and everything. I think that's huge. Definitely, um, people just assume the flower is going to be the best just because it tests really high. But I've mm -hmm. had some flower that has done wonders. Yeah, I just I just picked up an eighth the other day of something that tested at like fifteen percent. I don't know. Definitely, though, I didn't look at it till I got home because that's I don't care about the THC percentage. But I was like, damn, this is the lowest THC I've ever seen. The dude, the dispensary's like, this shit's selling out. But again, that's I'm in Washington. You have the right craft brand; they could do that. California, sadly, a lot of my clients out there, if it's not hitting close to thirty or above, like it's it's not. Buyers aren't buying it. People aren't buying yeah. it. It's it's a annoying situation. Um, really. Yeah. You know, but it is what it is. And so, and back to the events, you know, I, I briefly met you out there at the at Boston Cannabis Week. And, and when I was out there for that, I really just got this feel of excitement around the industry. Like everybody was so stoked. I mean, A, I think that was one of the first bigger events coming out of COVID and lockdown. So I think there's just a natural excitement around that. But it just seemed like people in the industry are just so excited that, you know, adult use is there. These license types are starting to open up and the industry is opening up. Is that... Was, is that an accurate representation of kind of the vibes around the industry there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when I first started, there was no adult use. Question four I hadn't passed yet when I was a bartender. So it was very difficult to get your foot in the door and um, just try to get a job. So now there's a lot more jobs, a lot more opportunity, a lot more things going on. And so you see a lot more people involved and a lot more excitement. And then obviously, you know, you traveled to a couple different places. Where would you put, you know, the top quality cannabis in Massachusetts? Would you stack that up to to the top quality in some of these other other spots in the world? Unfortunately, no. You know, Massachusetts, even here in New England, where we're kind of um, towards the bottom of the totem pole. Um, Maine, 
has some of the best cannabis in the country and uh, Rhode Island shortly thereafter. But they also have a lot more craft cultivators. And it's crazy because all their craft cultivators can also make amazing hash rosin as well. Like all of them. They're just dope at washing their flour and making amazing hash. I'm like, that's great. Like the concentrate market in Massachusetts is abysmal. It's really, really, really miserable right now. But if you want, you know, some real good live rosin, Maine and Rhode Island both accept except out-of-state patients if you have your medical card. But um, it's going to take time. You know, we need to mature. This, um, you just got to have more. You know, you just got to keep at it and keep at it. You know, Rhode Island and Maine had their head start before us, but we'll slowly get on there. But as it currently stands, you know, Massachusetts flower, it really isn't something to write home about. I know uh, I just like to be honest. You know, I'm not going to yeah. front. <laughs> I, res- I respect that. You know, I, I used to, I still give people shit. I went out to Denver years ago and I was like, just super disappointed in like all the flour. I mean, it's not like it was terrible, but I was just like, man, I, I can't find anything in here that would contend in my top 10, you know, with anywhere on, on the West, you know, touching the Pacific ocean. It's funny that people in Colorado call themselves West coast too, because you can't see the fucking coast from there. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I see that and I see so many, some people like, you know, from Colorado are like, yeah, man, I get it. It sucks. But then some people just get super offended and they're like, nah, man, you're not smoking. I'm like, bro, I went every, I tried so much weed when I was out there and I didn't find anything that piqued my interest. And when I was out in mass, I definitely found some stuff that was, I was impressed. My my expectations going in were just, again, because, you know, I live in, in the holy, the holy grail, the epicenter oh, yeah. of good weed. But for sure. I had I had very low expectations and they were definitely exceeded when I was out there. That's good to hear. Yeah, and definitely. I don't think um, the spot Harbor House Collective was even online when you guys were out here yet. So next time you guys pop on out, you guys are gonna have to check out Harbor House Collective in Chelsea, Mass. Um, I think they have the best flower in Massachusetts right now. Okay. Yeah, I have to check that out. Yeah, and I, di- I didn't get up to Maine when I was out there, but that's definitely on my list. And that's what every everybody was saying everywhere. They're like, oh, you like flower? Maine's not that far. Go go check it yeah. out. Yeah, man. That's really the reason I keep my medical cottage to go to Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and that's, I mean, and you you guys will get there, obviously, with getting these craft grows going. That's, that's really where the flower, you know, that's really where the quality comes from. And then I, you see it in any industry, you know, I do a lot of music or anything. When something comes out and it's hot, it forces everyone else to compete, you know, and, and the guys who got the big infrastructure and the big budgets, they can, you know, maybe it's not in their business model to compete with, with the craft guys, but if that's what they want to go for, they definitely have, usually have the means to do so. That's just the motivation that they need to kind of go the extra, extra mile to really like obsess over that shit overnight. hundred percent. Most people care more about quantity than quality at this moment in time. So they just, you know, when the people come to me and bragging, oh, I got this size of facility. I'm like, you know, big facilities aren't putting out that great of quality, you know, show me the small batch craft growers. That's what is putting out the fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are, what are some, I mean, you, you listed some of those, some of those uh, cultivators, but what are some of the brand, you know, you guys are more into the cultivators, I think more in terms of brands, but what are some of those brands and cultivators out there that you like? You don't have to, you know, people out there, he doesn't forget, you know, he's just naming a few, I'm putting them on the spot. So don't be offended, but I'm yeah. Uh, Smith cannabis, uh, river run gardens, Harbor house collective, um, Hidden Hemlock, that's a good brand that just came online, a brand new micro business. Um, Northeast Alternatives, they've won a bunch of awards out here. Um, let me think. 
Yeah, alternative compassionate services. If I do buy from a medical spot, I go alternative compassionate services. But I'm, I'm, that's mostly it, really. Um, I think more people just need to go through the licensing process. You know, the average wait time is roughly like two to four years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we formed that LLC back in August, May of 2020, and we're just about halfway there. Yeah, and that's that's that was you know some other questions I have just on your journey. You know, like. When you first started Rolling Relief, was it more of an idea before the license type was there or you kind of formed it as this license type came online? It was formed before our actual license that we're going for was there. What we originally wanted to do is called a micro business. So in Massachusetts, a micro business is an umbrella term for you know a dual license. So a micro business allows you to have up to 5,000 square feet of cultivation and you can wholesale up to 2,000 pounds per year via product manufacturing. And if you're social equity certified, you can apply for delivery endorsement and deliver all your products. So that's the only license you can have though. You know, they have limits on licenses. So if you, I want to do a dispensary, I can have three dispensaries. I want to do a grow, I can have three grows. But if you have a micro business, that's the only license type you can have and you have no room for growth really. We were going to be called South Shore Greenery and we were going to call the delivery wing of our business role and relief. And for then, we didn't want to miss out on the exclusivity window because we realized it was going to take a lot of time to you know raise capital and do a build out. And in my eyes, the exclusivity window for delivery was the crown jewel of the social equity program. And I wanted to be heavily involved in that. So we switched our attention to strictly delivery. So we formed the LSCMA in 2020 and, you know, we had to do a whole fight to create a whole new license and that didn't come out till May of 2021. So we basically had to wait a whole year for application to come out. And I often wonder where would we be in the process if it was, you know, ready from the jump. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. But, and it's, you've been building the brand since then, you know, so what, what does it look like for you kind of building the brand, getting the name out there while not even being, you know, fully operational? Um, it's huge. You know, we're um, cl- close to hitting a thousand Instagram followers. Um, we've won awards for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as it currently stands, I'm the only minority in the company right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it just shows people see the name, they vote for it. You know, people see Roll and Relief, you know, they think of delivery, they think of Devin Alexander. So, I mean, the clothing line has been a big part of what we've been doing. And I really, um, I took online courses with Parsons University out in New York. And we're going to have a whole dope collection dropping soon in the summertime. And really just making stickers, you know, showing up at events and, you know, just doing podcasts like this. Podcasts like this are huge just to see people just to get the name brand out there. And what what was the ultimate, you know, inspiration behind, you know, going from being a, you know, pharmacy, you know, working in a pharmacy to being a bud tender to being like, I want to own something. I want to create something. What was that like inspiration for you like? It was really just working as a bud tender and seeing the people who ran the show had no fucking clue what they were doing. <laughs> and that gave me all the confidence in the world. Once I realized the inner workings, I was like, this person was working at H&R Block two years ago. Like, I live, sleep, and eat cannabis. Like, this is the lifestyle for me. I'm very passionate about it. And I've surrounded myself with like-minded individuals. And, you know, so that's where we really went. And once I was at the... Once I was at a bud tender for a while, I worked my way up to events coordinator. And we hosted 
um, an expungement clinic. And, you know, the dispensary I was working for, you know, didn't have the best reputation in the community. But, you know, a lot of people still showed up because I put it on. And that's what really made me realize these people are really here for you. They don't care about this. Yeah. So, like, you can go off on your own, man. You know, you got the backing of the community behind you. You have a lot of good resources. A lot of people just want to uh, lend a hand. So that's really all that culminated into the perfect storm to give me a lot of confidence to go off on my own. No, I, I love that. It's, it's, uh, no, I love that. Cause it's understanding, understanding your value and your worth, you know what I mean? Like, and seeing that where it's not the company you're putting the work in for the company, you can put the same work in for yourself and everyone's journey is different. Some people want to be a, you know, I don't mean a cog in a wheel in a negative way, but be a part of a system or a team. And some people want to build and create. So I was just curious where that. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Like I was very confident and comfortable just being a butt tender for us, I was like, yo, I made it. I get to sell weed every day for a job. But then, you know, time goes on. You see what goes on. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> but it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. You know, it's very daunting. You know, um, when we got the money from COVID, COVID relief checks, that's the money I used, you know, to start my LLC. And I couldn't go anywhere at all because everywhere was shut down. So I just had all the time in the world to just focus, you mm -hmm. know. So it's just you know lightning in a bottle really like I, I often question myself if I was you know still out running around doing other things would I have the time and the focus to really build the brand and you know it's kind of been a blessing in disguise COVID-19 in some ways and how do you feel now you know just obviously battling for this license type you know you're over you two years into trying to get in the game over a year of trying to get this active license since the license type became available you know how are you feeling towards just the process are you still just like fighting and, and ready to fight or you feel a little bit like kind of defeated by the process or what, what's your temperature there it's really just building patience that's the whole biggest thing in this whole game is just having patience and you know so I'm, I'm too deep in now there's no turning back you know so i got to see this thing through regardless just the kind of person i am you know um if i just gave up now that shit would eat me alive and mm. i would think about it the rest of my life so there's just no way in hell i'm ever going to give up so it's really just taking it one day at a time, you know, having conversations with people who've been through the process, you know, who are going through the process, people who are always there for support, you know, me, my business partner is basically my therapist, you know, we both talk each other off the ledge, you know, because we both had our low points and then we both have our high points. So, but it's a marathon. It's just not going to happen overnight and people need to realize that if they're going to hop in this game. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially at this point, point in time, right? Like it's, there's, there's limited opportunity. It's very difficult. There's a lot of challenges and you got to fight every step of the way, you know, to. Yeah. They don't make it easy on you, man. Every which way, like even right now, I'll drop a little knowledge. Like we're just getting held up over like minor parking and fencing issues. Literally just, <laughs> that's what's holding us up to really go towards the next step. But, um, you know, we have a meeting on Mondays. So hopefully we'll get to that sorted out. What do you feel like, you know, others that are looking to get in the space, what, what can they learn from you? What's, what's kind of the inspiration you can hope to impart on them? You know, you don't have to have a fancy business degree. You don't have to know a lot of people, like deep pockets. Uh, it's it's going to help you. But, you know, if you don't know anybody, you don't have that straight off the rip. There's a lot of stuff you can teach yourself. You know, there's a lot of people you can eventually meet. If you just put yourself out there, you know, uh, become available. Have a good mind, you know, don't throw dirt on anybody else's name and just, just stay focused and know what you want. You can get it. You know, you either find the way or you find an excuse. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Could you explain? I don't know too much about this, but, you know, I've, I've seen some stuff out there that you guys were getting 
an exclusive uh, a contract. But what's what's kind of the Paul Pierce situation going on? Is that is that still still a play in, in motion? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So um, there's a company called the Hubcraft. They have a licensing deal with uh, Paul Pierce and their former um, chief operating officer. She left recently, but their former chief operating officer, Noni Goldman was one of my teachers in the equity program and she reached out to me back in august and said hey devin um we've been on panels together you know i've seen what you've done in the delivery space would you be interested in taking on you know um, celebrity brands that we've partnered with one of them being paul pierce and you know i'm a diehard celtics fan and i bleed green uh, they're my number one in sports team and i grew up idolizing paul pierce so it was a no-brainer for me um we got to meet him at a private event in Boston, and you know, I just try, I tried to play it cool. I was like, "Yeah," I'm like, "Hey, man, <laughs> you're Paul fucking Pierce." <laughs> it was right before he's going into the Hall of Fame too. So uh, his brand's called the Truth Thirty Four. It's a line of flour, pre rolls, and um, concentrates. And once we, you know, finally obtain a notice to commence operations, we'll be one of the first delivery companies in the state to have it. There's currently some other dispensaries that have it, but there's no delivery companies that have it. Okay. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, the celebrity weed game is, it's played out in California and across the country. But when you look at, you know, geolocal celebrities, what Paul Pierce means to Boston or just, you know, the state of Massachusetts, the area in which is New England, you know, like that's a highly, highly influential individual. So I, 100%. I think that'll be an exciting he- product. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, he's just new to the weed game either. Yeah. You know, he's, and he's a, an avid cannabis consumer. It's not just like, you know, um, Martha Stewart just trying to come out here, uh, Justin Bieber just doing his little thing. It's Paul's lived this, you know, um, and cannabis has helped him. You know, um, back in the early 2000s, he got stabbed like 11 times at a nightclub out here in Boston. And he said cannabis, you know, helped them cope with anxiety and other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a part of his story. Uh, but too, just the amount of influence he has in that area, right? Like, because that's what we constantly see celebrities, people partner, especially, I mean, California is the main state, but you'll see California partner with a celebrity who may be a big celebrity, but what's their actual, you know, retail impact within that specific state? It's usually not very high. And when you partner with a celebrity, that's an extra hand that's got to eat off the supply chain. So you got a product that's a little bit more expensive to the consumer. And, you know, as the consumer, do they care about that? And when you add someone like a Paul Pierce in an area like where you guys are at, I, I can absolutely yeah. see that being a successful uh, collaboration. Yeah, exactly. Like if Tom Brady started a weed line, it would go crazy. David Ortiz, <laughs> did, David Ortiz did one, same thing, you know. So we're very big sports oriented out here and we like our cannabis as well. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing. Obviously, you know, the Patriots out there, uh, you know, one of the best teams in all of sports. You know, their their track record these last couple of decades is unrivaled across any sport. Who's who's the biggest sports team out there in your opinion? Like, what do people get most hyped about? When they're good, the Red Sox own Boston. Okay. You know, all the fans, they're good. And that's what it comes down to. And then, you know, you have, you have the era – with in the 80s with Bird and all that. So the Celtics were huge, the Old Garden, the Bruins. Um, but the Patriots, you know, growing like I was, Tom Brady took over when I was eight years old. You know, he just retired and I'm 28, you know. So um, 
literally all before my time, the Patriots were uh, an afterthought. You know, no one cared about the Patriots. They're t- they were going to get sold and go down to Connecticut. Um, their games were never on the big channel. And, you know, Tom Brady comes and just revolutionizes everything, turns it into a football town. But Boston loves the Red Sox 100%. You know, people rocking all the hats. You, know, you see the Boston B hat is the most synonymous with the city, you know. Yeah, and that's why, I, and from the outside looking in, you know, there's, I feel like I see more Red Sox. I mean, now, definitely as of late, you see Patriot fans everywhere, but growing up, you definitely see the Red Sox. You know, out here on the West Coast, people be diehard Red Sox fans. I used to run a sports retail store where we worked with New Era and Mitchell and S and did a bunch of custom hats, and, you know, we we're in Washington, but Boston was definitely one of the, you know, that was one of our highest selling hats. If not, it might have been our highest selling hat, probably that of the Yankees. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and it's just a, rec- it's a recognizable brand. You know, you just automatically know. So you see that red B, boom, Boston. Easy. So what's what's the what's the pride like for people coming from Boston? You feel like people out there just have a huge pride for being from that area? I like to think so. You know, I myself do, a hundred percent take a lot of pride in the fact that I was born in Boston, and that's where I I never imagined myself working in cannabis in my home state um, so young. I honestly thought if I wanted a career in cannabis, I was going to have to travel to Colorado or Oregon or Washington State. So the fact that I get to do it in my backyard means a lot to me. And how quickly you feel like did that that come from you being like, I want to be in cannabis, I'm going to have to go somewhere else, and then all of a sudden think the snowball starts moving in your state? When I was a senior in high school, there was no dispensaries, and that was not you know, a career path that was plausible. It really didn't happen until even after I got out of college, it took like a year or two. So after I'd say in like 2015, 16, that's when a lot of stuff started ramping up. Uh, I never pictured myself. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I got out of college. I literally just was literally clueless. And then I found the CVS job on a website and was like, yo, that seems respectable. I'll do that. And so the next thing, best thing comes along. The next best thing was cannabis. Yeah. What is, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, craft, but what are some of your, uh, and, and some of your favorite things about the, the, the Massachusetts market, but what are some of the, what are some of the things that, that Massachusetts needs to work on when it comes to cannabis? Uh, they're known as host community agreements. So in Massachusetts, if you want to have any type of cannabis business, you have to obtain what is known as a host community agreement. That is a contract that is five years in length between the cannabis business and the municipality saying that they have to pay 3% of their annual gross sales. Now, currently, as it stands, there is no oversight of these agreements, so they are ripe for extortion. So you will see some of these cities and towns asking for more than 3%, asking for donations to nonprofits, asking them to mm-hmm. buy police cruises, uh, playgrounds. And, you know, a few years back, a mayor in a t- town called Fall River was extorting cannabis companies for hundreds of thousands of dollars and 10 to 12 pounds of smokable flour. Um, he's on his way to federal jail any day now. Uh, there's been a huge case about it. But, you know, that's part of um, the legislation right now is there's a bill that's going to do a lot of different things. Um, it would give the Cannabis Control Commission oversight of these host community agreements. It would open up a social consumption and it would create social equity trust funds all in one single bill. But I'd say the HCA, the host community agreement process, is very damning because, you know, it goes to the highest bidder. You know, a small it's very hard for these small-time operators to obtain these agreements and you can't move forward without them. 
Yeah, and we're seeing very, you know, we're seeing similar things of corruption. There's been a, a lot of it alleged in New Jersey. You know, some news dropped in Florida not too, not too long ago, showing a lot of corruption around it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, it's, it's very. I don't know. It's not fun, you know, to see something that comes from the stigma of being around corruption and being illegal to become made legal. And then you see the white collared people or people in positions of power that should be overseeing that this is not rolling out like that, contributing to, you know, further fucking up the stigma of this shit, man. It sets us back. Yeah, it's really I've, I've said it multiple times before. I don't know a single small time entrepreneur in this state that has had an easy path at all. At all, like literally, I'm five years from now. I'm, I'm gonna write a book on the Massachusetts market, and each chapter is gonna feature a different entrepreneur on their journey. And it might get even made into a movie. That's how crazy it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on, and I, I guarantee over these last couple of years, you got enough for your own movie. Um, when it comes to delivery, uh, you know, specifically for the cannabis consumer, like I said, I'm not. I'm in Washington. We don't have it, but I've been to many states that have it. What does that consumer demographic look like to you? Like the, the delivery consumer versus the, the brick and mortar consumer? People with, you know, amb ambulatory issues and um, older folk, people who have, especially with COVID, you know, people don't want to go out. So people just, you can get anything delivered to your house these days. So people that, you know, want to stay healthy and can of moms too. I think that's going to be a big demographic that we eventually will tap into because you can't, you know, bring your kid into the dispensary. They have to be mm -hmm. 21 plus. So I think the Canon mom is really going to be a big benefactor of the delivery model. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I got a three-year-old. My wife was just gone for a week and, you know, thankfully I keep my supply, you know, running okay. But I definitely yeah. was, uh, I, had, I had a little, I had a little, uh, you know, thirst for a beverage. And I was like, man, you know, I'm not going to pull up and just leave this three-year-old in the, in the exactly. car seat while I run into the store real quick. 100%, 100%. But at the so same I think, time, I could go to Safeway and go buy, you know, 14 half gallons of alcohol with my son with me. So I don't, you know. Crazy, especially brewery. I think that's what like barely grinds my nerve. Right. I have a lot of homies own breweries, but like people bring their whole damn family. Mm. They bring their kids, their wife, their dog, mm -hmm. you know, drink a bunch of like 10% beers, then all file into the car and drive away and <laughs> nobody bats an eye. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I was just at a brewery with my son the other day. So. <laughs> I was letting I was letting him color while I was I was doing some sampling, you know, keeping respectable. Yeah. But no, it's 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 very true, you know, how much the stigma is still is still prevalent, right? And and still entrenched in the legislation and the rules and and not just that, but also just how the general public views this shit, man. It's really, you know, to be on the inside of it it's really discouraging at times because, you know, I mean, I'm, I, you know, you said you were part of a lot of events. I've thrown a lot of events and I, I still meet people that are so scared of cannabis. And I'm like, well, do you go to the bar? Have you ever been to a concert? Have you been to a baseball game? It doesn't matter college to what, you know, they're like fucking selling beer and all that shit. And it's like, go throw an event that just is a regular event where alcohol is there and then go to a weed event and, and you will notice night and day, especially if someone throwing it and responsible for the safety and well-being and, you know, not seeing the destruction of property is a night and day difference being at a cannabis event as opposed to a, a regular event that just has alcohol. A hundred percent. And like definitely more cannabis events need to permit cannabis consumption at mm -hmm. their events. 
lot of these events, you know, there's heavy alcohol consumption going on at these cannabis events, you know, so hopefully in the future we start to see more, you know, people providing people. I went to a party, um, MJ BizCon actually, for uh, Grasslands, like the advertising agency out of Colorado, mm-hmm. and they threw it at like this Airbnb off the strip, and they were handing out, you know, Pax Chillums. They had a Bud Bar and an alcohol bar. I was like, that's amazing. That's like how it should be. Yeah, actually, I, I don't think we ran into each other. I was at that event, too, for a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, Vegas, they they do a lot. Like, I love California because you can do the actual licensed event where you have consumption or you can do licensed delivery on site. And, as again, coming from Washington, we've thrown a lot of similar events, but it's been a little bit more under the radar. But then that's the thing I've always been critical up here in Washington is you see these cannabis industry mixers or cannabis industry events, and there's free drinks. And you're like, where do I smoke? And like, oh, there's nowhere to smoke. And I'm like, do you realize that we're we're stigmatizing ourselves? We're in the industry and we're being like, nah, smoking weed, that's not okay. But you can drink. Yeah. No, it really blows my mind sometimes. So there definitely needs to be more destigmatization in that sense, 100%. And that's where I like, um, I don't know. Have you, have you ever been to Hall of Flowers? No, I'm, I'm hoping to go out to Palm Springs in May for the first time. Yeah, yeah. If you do hit me, I'll, I'll be out there. And that that's one of my favorite. I mean, it's like my favorite cannabis event, but I love it because it's like a B2B trade show. And then they have like a, you know, just the outdoor area. It's not really a consist- it's just like you can smoke. You know, it's not really like there's not bongs, there's not like dab bars, but you can just smoke. And it's like the perfect mix of like you can do business, you can look at products, you can go outside and try them, but it's not in this like party atmosphere. It's like just taking cannabis consumption that's casual that all of us probably participate in throughout our daily lives and integrating it to an event where it's not like look at me smoke so much smoke so much it's just like normal it's completely normalized and there's very few especially business focused events that just have consumption so normalized yeah and i'm very excited to experience that and i think that's the way it should be honestly Absolutely. Absolutely. We got to see some of these other states get, get, get on, get on game with that. Um, man, what, what do you hope to be, you know, your legacy in, in the cannabis industry? I just want to be a well-respected person, well-respected brand. you know, just when people see my face and hear my name, they know who I am and what I'm about. I don't have to explain myself really. Um, I'm not in it for the money. I'm just really wanting to just do something I'm passionate about and make a decent living. And that's all I ever wanted, really. You know, um, I can't see myself working in any other industry, honestly, ever again. <laughs> so I'm not going back to CVS. Hell no. Especially, <laughs> oh man, if I was at CVS when all this COVID shit popped off, oh, I would have quit instantly right there, <laughs> right on spot. <laughs> uh, I can see that, man. What what what's on what's on the docket? I know, obviously, you guys are getting that official launch, but what else? What else you got up your sleeve for 2022? Really just spreading the national awareness of who we are, even though we eventually would like to be in the New York market, but even just going to events around the country, you know, um, we got Nikan here in Boston and then um, April, we're going to go down to DC for the National Cannabis Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, in May, we're going to go to MJ Unpacked out in New York, hopefully be at Hall of Flowers. Um, going to go to the Black Cannabis Conference down in New Orleans, down in, um, that's like November. It's really, hopefully, Seattle Hemp Fest pops off again. I've never been out there for that. I'd really love to experience that at least once. Really just bouncing around, 
taking speaking opportunities any way I can get them. Um, if I could, eventually one of my goals would be to speak at uh, South by Southwest. You know, mm. I missed it this year, but I want to. That's um, definitely a goal of mine in the near future. Mm. I love it, man. I love it. Any anything else you want people to people to know about yourself or Rolling Relief? Um, we're rolling the leaf. We're going to source the best products. All of our products are going to be locals. Um, we're going to have no MSO brands on our menu whatsoever. You know, it's going to be small time people helping out other small time people. You know, we have partnerships with the first black owned cultivator, just incredible cultivation. Mm-hmm. So when people buy the flower with the rolling relief, they're going to be supporting two black bits at the same time. Mm. Mm, that's a power, powerful statement right there, man. Not many, you know, I, I don't know if anyone can say that in any state, honestly. Yeah. So that's something I really take a lot of pride in. It's something we've been working on, just traveling the state to see who has the best of what. Absolutely. I love it. Sourcing the right. So I appreciate you, Devin, for hopping on here, talk, talking on our platform today, man, giving us some insight on, on the Massachusetts market, your journey. It's definitely been been quite the journey and i know there's a lot of people out there us included excited to to get you guys to watch you guys get online and and flourish in this space man you're you're standing for a lot of great things that i think uh are are very admirable for anyone to support man and so just wish you the you know the best of luck and positive energy throughout the rest of this year man thank you man really appreciate it thank you for having me on 100%. 100%. So that's RMR Podcast with Devin Alexander of Rolling Relief. You can find them at rollingrelief.org. And Leaf is spelled as in Leaf, L-E-A-F. Um, and then at rolling underscore relief on Instagram, correct? That is correct. You got it, my man. I, I took the right notes. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. We will see you guys next time.